Today we're entering into a new sermon series through the book of James. It's going to be three and a half years. No, joking, joking. Uh, it is going to be ten weeks. Um, at King's, we desire to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. That's our, that's our hope. The main point of the text is what we desire to preach. This is called expository preaching. And we believe that this is the best way to show our commitment to the word as God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. It's to preach it book by book. What this does is it actually prevents us from preaching our favorite topics or getting on a certain hobby horse that the preacher may love. It forces us to preach hard sermons and difficult subjects that maybe in our culture we would just want to sidestep instead of dive into because it may cause people to leave sometimes if you preach a hard text, if you preach against what our culture accepts. James is one of those books that I hope challenge us, but I also believe it's going to step on some of our toes. He is very to the point. He gets at a lot of different topics. We're going to see a variety of issues in the book of James, from trials that come into our lives to poverty and riches to materialism, favoritism, social justice, the tongue, worldliness, boasting, making plans, prayer, and he even in chapter 5 deals with, hey, what do you do if someone's sick? We're going to be here for 10 weeks. James is a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. James was a leader in the Jerusalem church that was planted in Acts 2. We see that throughout Acts, that it, it talks about James. There is another James who is martyred in, in chapter 13. But then this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who Josephus actually says was martyred in AD 62. His letter is, is one that is, is loved by many Christians because it's practical, it's concise, and it's memorable. He uses a lot of illustrations to make, to make points stick. He's much better at this than I am. He is, he's concise. It's only 108 verses. And we know from, from, from past experiences in James that it is very practical. Hey, this is what you do as a Christian. James also gives us an understanding of how, of how faith and works relate. Hence, the title of this, this series is Our Faith at Work. Our Faith at Work. Many times when we discuss works related to the Christian life, there's a knee-jerk reaction that, that cautions us or, or comes into our lives because we don't want to be labeled legalists. I've had, I've had conversations with some of you that have grown up in churches that where that's, that's how, you would, uh, how you would describe or characterize that church. It was a legalist church. It's one that only preached, do this, don't do that. So when we think about works, many times we, we shy away from it because of that or... We don't want to see our salvation as being earned by our works. And, and James doesn't affirm that. The scriptures don't affirm that. 
that we can, we can gain righteousness, we can gain salvation by our works. As we, as we go through this letter, we're going to see in these 108 verses, there are 59 commands in these 108 verses. But there's also an emphasis on faith. Everything James writes is founded on faith given by the Lord to us. He mentions it 14 times in this letter. James will challenge us to see rightly the relationship between our faith and works. David Platt points out that James also helps us see how our faith impacts the the world around us. This is what he says. Faith moves Christians to take steps of radical obedience to make the gospel known all around the world. Right? Our faith at work. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see just people who come and hear the word and then go about their lives as if nothing happened. We don't want to go, we don't want to go about as, as practical atheists throughout the work week. We want to hear. We want that word to, to be implanted in us. And then we want to do it. We want to obey it. We want to see the nations come to know King Jesus. Let's do a quick overview of James so so we can have some context here. James is a a New Testament book. Its author is the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. The, The unique thing about James is that during the life of Jesus, during his ministry, James actually rejected Jesus, but then came to believe later on. The audience are are persecuted Jewish Christians. These these Christians were once associated with the church in Jerusalem, but now they're spread out all over because of persecution. The date, this this was awesome. The date is AD 44 to 49. It could be as early as 44, which would put it, just, just think about it, would put it 11 years after Christ. After Christ. This is the earliest book in the New Testament. It's written from Jerusalem, where James was a pastor of the church there. The themes. This is the theme here of of James is really how our faith leads to work that impacts the world. Our, Our faith leads us to living lives for God and stop compromising with the ways of the world. One one author put it like this, the central concern for James is spiritual wholeness, right? So, So think about that for a minute, spiritual wholeness. So what we believe playing out in how we live, right? It it what we believe lends itself to practice. That's one of the main themes of James. One pastor said, it's not a doctrinal treatise, but an intensely practical manual for Christian living. We're going to see that. We're going to see that over the next 10 weeks. Theology, just a few theological areas that James hits. He he uses a lot of Old Testament allusions and quotes. We're going to see Elijah, Abraham, Rahab, Job. But he also deals with suffering and testing. What do we do when our faith is tested, when we suffer? Eschatology, the end times, how do we live in light of Christ's return? Christology, what are we going to learn about Jesus in James? Poverty 
and piety. How do, how do law, grace, and faith go hand in hand? Wisdom. He, he quotes, and, and we see him alluding to Proverbs. This is, this is a letter. It's probably a sermon. But there's also wisdom literature in here. He's going to deal with the tongue, how we speak. And then also he's going to deal with prayer. As we enter into this letter, my desire for us as a church is to be strengthened in the, in the faith. It is to see how our faith leads to works that impact the world around us. My, my prayer for us that we would be quick to hear the word, to receive the word, and then to obey the word. We're tackling one verse this morning. We're going to pick it up over the next few weeks, clearly, right? 108 verses. Well, it's James's greeting. Within this verse, we're going to see James introduce himself and give hope to a people scattered because of persecution. Our big idea this morning is very simple. Live under the lordship of Christ. Live under the lordship of Christ. And what we're going to see is we're going to see James model this for us. He's going to exemplify this for us. I want to read the first verse. It can be found on page 950 in your pew Bible. I would also encourage you to pick up a journal back there. It has the, the book of James in it. Uh, it's a great place to take notes throughout the week, take notes on Sunday mornings. But let me read James 1.1, and then I'll pray. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this new study through James, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us, your Holy Spirit to guide us, Lord, we, we want to see Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus in our lives. Father, we want what we say we believe to come out in the way we act. Father, our, our actions, our, our words, our deeds, God, may they be founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and the faith you've given us in him. Father, now we, we pray that you would allow us to hear, receive, and obey this word. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> what we're going to do in these fir this first verse is look at the example of James as he opens up this letter. I really believe we see his faith at work, even in a simple greeting. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. First, we see how, how James introduces himself. He introduces himself as a humble servant. A humble servant. Beginning there in, in one, one A, James, a servant of God. James doesn't say, I'm an apostle. Paul calls him an apostle in Galatians. He doesn't say, yo, I am the half-brother of Jesus. Listen to me. Right? I mean, to me, like, that's authoritative. Man, the half-brother of Jesus? Or, hey, I saw the resurrected Christ. Listen to me. No, he says, servant of God. He's humble in his title. He, he's a servant. This word is, is slave, bondservant. He knew his role in God's kingdom, in God's economy. 
James is the half-brother of Jesus. Paul tells us this in Galatians 1.19. This is contrary to what Catholics believe and teach. Right? Catholics teach that Mary only had Jesus and was, was a virgin until she died. But what we see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that Mary had several other children with Joseph. We also see that, that James, as a kid and as an adult, rejected Jesus. John 7, 5 says that, the, that his brothers didn't believe in him. Mark 3, 21 says, you're crazy. They thought Jesus was crazy for what he was teaching and doing in the temple. So, what happened? How did he change his mind? 1 Corinthians 15, 7 gives us the answer. Paul is recounting the gospel. He says, you know what you've believed. That, that Jesus died according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says he appeared to James. He appeared to James. What happened? The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And James believed. James, James saw his brother doing these miracles, saying these things. Yet his heart was not yet open to the gospel. And then he was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. And he believed. The, the reason we know he believed is because in Acts 1.14, it says Mary, with her, with, with the brothers and, brothers and or, or sorry, sons and daughters, they were in the upper room waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.14. The resurrection changed everything for James. So much so that in Acts 2, as the gospel goes forth, 3,000 people believe and are baptized and are gathered into the church in Jerusalem. We see that James is one of the leaders in that church. From Acts 12, verse 17, Acts 15, verse 13, and Acts 21, 18. We see that James is one of the leaders in that church. He helped pen the letter that would go to the Gentiles, saying, abstain from this, but rejoicing in their inclusion into the people of God. He was martyred in 62 AD, 29 to 30 years after the crucifixion of his brother. We see in his, in his greeting that above all, yes, he was a leader in the church. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was an apostle. Above all, he wanted to be known as a servant. He didn't flaunt his status as brother or pastor. He's a servant. And this is true for all of us in here if you are a follower of Christ. Because what is true is this, Jesus is Lord of your life. That's why James continues, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He is the Lord and he is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited king who was to come. Peter will say in his first sermon in Acts 2 that the people crucified Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? A slave 
of Jesus. Is Jesus your Lord? If not, then you haven't understood the gospel. You see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came as a servant to redeem a people for himself. Yes, James gives us a beautiful example of a servant, but the greater servant, the greater example is Jesus. Jesus took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, that he may save the world. He served us on the cross when he gave up his life as a substitute for us. He took our sin. We get his righteousness. He served us when he defeated the grave by being raised from the dead. And through that, he gives us new life. Now our only response as followers of Christ is to serve him with our lives. For we were, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but God in his great mercy, he has lavished on us this gift of grace that we may be called children of God. We get to serve him with our lives. You can be made alive today. If you're not a servant of Christ, if you've never received Jesus as Lord in Christ, you can be made alive today if you confess your sins and believe in Christ. As those who have been saved, we see this from James, his example. How do we apply this? It's very simple. We serve humbly. We serve humbly. James is going to hit some of this. The rich and the poor we serve. The oppressed, the orphan, and the widow we serve. If you're married, you serve your spouse. If you have kids, you serve your kids. If you have parents, you serve your parents. Around here, if toilets need to be cleaned, you clean them. If there's crumbs on the ground, we vacuum them. We pick up trash. We serve one another and we serve the lost. That's our hope. We, wanna, we want to model. We want our faith to be at work by serving humbly, as James models here. James also addresses his letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He is writing to a scattered people. A scattered people. First, he says the 12 tribes. If you've read, <clears throat> if you're reading the Old Testament this year, if you've read the Old Testament recently, you, you pick up on this language, the 12 tribes. This is talking about Jacob's sons, the 12 sons of Jacob. Those are the 12 tribes. Israel was chosen by God and was divided among these 12 sons. James writes to these Jewish Christians calling them the 12 tribes. Peter does this as well. But what we see here is that what, what, what James is doing is he's, he's making the jump from the old to the new. You see, the old Israel has now been made new by the church. He's calling these Christians the true Israel. The church is the true people of God. That's what Jesus ushered in. The old now has become new. The prophets of old testified to the Lord, regathering Israel after exile. This has been, been fulfilled in the church. It's the true, the true Israel. Does God still seem to have something in store for Israel? Yes, 
Yes, Paul mentions it. We see in the Old Testament, there's something still happening. God's still going to draw out Jews that have been scattered. But it seems as well, from Revelation and in the New Testament, that the church is the new Israel. The church is also dispersed. Here, the two, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This means among the nations. They're dispersed because of persecution. We see this in Acts 8 at the stoning of Stephen. Paul, or Saul at this point, he goes around and he, he arrests and kills Christians. And they disperse throughout all the surrounding regions. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As they're dispersed, they continue to preach the gospel and more churches were planted. Here we see James is addressing the 12 tribes in the dispersion. These, these tribes, these Christians are God's chosen people who have been dispersed among the nations for a purpose. And that's to see the gospel go forth. Here as he addresses them, he's also addressing the church. He's addressing us. And we need to live as God's chosen people among the nations, among our community, starting right here. That's why we want to pray each day of January for lost friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. And then as God calls others from among us to go to the nations, yes, we want to reach the nations here, but we also want to send to the uttermost parts of the world. We want to serve humbly. We want to live as God's chosen people. And then James finishes with just a simple word. He says, greetings. You see, this is a comforting word for this church and these dispersed peoples. The people James is writing to are going through trials. They've been dispersed because of their faith. They find themselves all over the world. James writes to them to encourage them in their faith. This word greeting means to rejoice or be glad. They needed this. They needed to be encouraged, but also challenged to continue to live out their faith. The, near, the very next verse in James, James 1-2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. They needed to be encouraged to see the trials that they were going through as something to rejoice in. Something that was leading to their maturity in the faith. We need encouragement from, from one another. We need to be comforted by one another. We live in a tough world. We live in a world that, that has pressures coming from all angles towards us. Hey, come and look like me. We need to comfort one another. That as we go through trials, as we go through suffering, let us count it all joy. Who can you comfort today? This is our faith at work right here in this first verse. From this simple greeting, we see James modeling what it means to live under the lordship of Christ. We want to serve humbly. We want to live as God's chosen people. And we want to comfort one another. So where does James go in the rest of his letter? We have 107 verses left. 107 verses left. Where does he go? What I want us to do with, a, with the remaining time is we're actually going to read all of James. And it's going to set us up for the rest of our series. It's not going to take too long. As long as we read fast, we'll put it on two and a half speed. But what I want you to do real quick before we, before we read, I want you to see this chart of correlation between James and Jesus. 
Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount seems to have had a huge influence on what James writes. One, one pastor points out 21 references and allusions to the Sermon on the Mount in James. It, it almost seems as if James is writing a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasizes what a life of faith looks like. He, he really deals with the heart and he attacks the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. But then within it, it he, he shows how this, this new life actually leads to obedience, really in each, of the, in each of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount. The heart's being transformed, and that's clearly seen in the way his followers live. So here's a, I'll send this out in the weekly email. I know it's kind of small. I was trying to put everything on one slide, but I'll send this out. Uh, so what we're going to do now is just take our time and read through the book of James. Um, Matt and Virginia are going to jump in and, and read a couple chapters each. I'm going to start in James 1. If you want to follow along on the screen or in your journal highlighting stuff and, and just maybe you have questions that we can tackle in our small groups. But I'll start in James 1.1 and then we'll continue through the end of the, cha- the, end of the book. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers, flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, a groan brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and good gift and perf- every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
religion that is pure and and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears, who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are, not the ones, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you, were, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the, earth, the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somehow brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, cover a multitude of sins. Thank y'all for reading for us. As our, as our band makes their way back up for us to sing our final song. As you heard, as we were reading James 1 through 5, we're going to tackle a lot of topics in this letter. There's, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. Um, I, I truly hope this is a life-changing book, that it, that it grounds us in the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And then from that, as, we, as we're founded upon the gospel, and that we have an act of obedience each day in our lives, that, that our faith comes out in how we speak to people, in how we, in how we, how we go about our lives in word and deed. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to rejoice in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You're kind. We thank you for your word. Would you continue to teach us? Would you continue to lead us by your spirit? We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.